Anyway, here we are. Episode 25. 25. That means 25 weeks of this show. Congratulations. Thank you. It's called No Laugh Track. It's a podcast for Acme. My name's Justin Severson. Hi! Hey, I'm Derek Hughes. Hi, Derek. Hi, Justin. Welcome to Minnesota. Hey, thanks. Have you been here before? Uh, I grew up here. Mm. So, is, yeah. Technically, yeah. This I've is going to be weird. I should have done my research. Here. Came in for the first snow. Oh, <laughs> yeah, there was a little bit of snow. Drifty. There was a little bit of snow. It was exciting. What the hell? So how are you? I'm great. Let's do this shit. This is exciting. I see why it's called No Laugh Track. We're sitting in uh, we're sitting in a fully illuminated Acme Comedy Company theater space with two people sitting in the fifth row. Mm-hmm. What's up? Let's get it out there. We're both from St. Paul. We're both from St. Paul. Yeah. It's yeah, out now. Yeah. You went to Central. St. Paul Central. I went to Humboldt. There's really nothing to brag about you know, there. Uh, and there's no real rivalry in my heart. I never felt a true allegiance with St. Paul Central. No offense to St. Paul Central. No offense to the Minutemen. Mm-hmm. But, uh, I mean, I, I went there junior and half of my senior year. And that's it? Yeah. Where was before that? Well, 10th grade, was uh, there was a short-lived Minnesota Conservatory of Performing Arts in downtown St. Paul. It was like a renovated, not even renovated, it was just a warehouse, the, the third level of a warehouse building, and it was a handful of the teachers and students. Do you remember the Children's Theater Company had a school? And, no, but I remember the Children's Theater. I well, know and that. Still, and the Children's Theater Company is still going strong and right. do amazing productions. We're actually going to take my uh, my 16-month-old Edward to see uh, The Grinch. Oh, Christ- Christmas. yeah, that's out now. Yeah, yeah, it's playing, so we're we're very excited. Uh, that theater is amazing. Mm-hmm. It's just a great, amazing theater. Um, there was a school, and that school got shut down because of a scandal with the artistic director of the school and a student. Hmm. And but the training was amazing, and it wasn't like there was a culture of of crime happening in the school. It was just something went public, and you can't you can't have a relationship. An adult can't have a relationship with a, with a kid. Wow! <laughs> but here's the thing. Okay, they're still together to this day. You, you know that? Oh yeah, they live together. They're. Uh, I mean, it it was it was a sad. It was a sad, stinky, sticky thing, hmm. and you know, in very morally ambiguous. Sure. However, <laughs> the training was was impeccable. I yes, mean, just the great education dance, was fantastic. Music, theater, and I was going to junior high in Stillwater. We had moved to Stillwater for a couple years from Roseville, so I started in Roseville. Yeah. We moved to Stillwater for junior high. Tenth grade, I got into this Minnesota Conservatory of Performing Arts, which was only open for four years before a performing arts high school that was state-funded opened in Golden Valley, which is still going. It's the state art school. So it's like, you know, remember fame? Yeah. Yeah, it was like that. We would actually joke going to eat lunch at the Galleria, the Galtier Plaza food court. We would... Someone would shout spontaneous fame dance, and then we would all start pirouetting down the <laughs> oh, sidewalk wow. like a bunch of pansies. It's fantastic. Manly roots. Manly I'm glad roots. you realize that. <laughs> um, but so 10th grade, I could only afford to go for one year, but it was, a lot, it was a handful of the teachers and students from the children's theater program that wanted their kids that, uh, to continue that, that philosophy of education. Yeah. So, and then I couldn't afford you know, to keep going. It was expensive. It was like ten grand a year hey. or something. Yeah. Uh, 
so I went to St. Paul Central, which had a great theater program. And then I well, what you've always told me is that there's two types of people. Or there's actually three that types of people that go to Central. It's either black nerds or black nerds. <laughs> is that correct? <laughs> that was. <laughs> You know what, Derek? That's the only thing I brought tonight that I... <laughs> That's fantastic. That's the only thing I brought tonight. I have nothing. Black <laughs> that, that, I, nerds or black nerds. Yeah. Urkel is the prototype. Yeah. What I actually thought about that uh, when I was... Uh, I was in the bathroom today. I think I was picking a hair out of my face, and I was thinking about the podcast your hair, tonight. Your face looks very well-groomed, by the yeah, way. Yeah, thank you. And, uh, and that came to mind. I was like, nerds. Blacks, nerds, or black nerds. That was that was what I brought. That was not rehearsed, but it was that wasn't off the top of the head. I'll admit. <laughs> so that you wrote that, yeah. Good writing. Thank you. <laughs> was a uh, was a uh, humble. I mean, I spent more time, less time focusing on who was at Central, and more time focusing on getting out of Central. Yeah. I mean, I skipped so many days of school. Doing what? <laughs> going down to the river with Dominic Sally and getting high. Yeah, there we <laughs> it go. Was fantastic. <laughs> yeah. We would also we would sneak off to Lee's Billiards mm-hmm. on Larpenter and play pool for hours. I think it's and still hours. there. It's not Lee's anymore. Oh, but there's a bo- there's a pool hall there. Yeah, it's Al's. I yeah. think a guy named Al bought it from Lee. Lee was this grumpy old guy, but you could keep your cue behind the counter, and he knew what cue was yours. Oh, you had your own. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. yeah I had my own cue. You're one of those guys. Yeah, yeah. Fancy, you know, uh, what was that color of money? Yeah, yeah, you Minnesota like, fats. So we'd dance around with our sticks. Fancy, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 1986 inspired color of money. Yeah, Lee's Billiards was awesome. I mean, you could smoke in there, and and it had yellow tabletops, not the classic green, mm. but it was all like these amber yellow tabletops, and they had a great jukebox. And Dominic Selly and I, my best buddy from uh, from high school, we met. Doing Romeo and Juliet in the in the St. Paul Central production, it was uh, he was Romeo and I was his his slave. As long as you weren't Juliet, <laughs> yeah, I wasn't. No. So, what, were you were you in the acting thing from early eight? You know, I got into acting. You know, I'm a magician and I'm really into magic and uh, sleight of hand. And I got into that when I was about ten. Um, and as I got, I mean, I got really into it. I nerded out hardcore from the get-go. This from the first magic kit I got my hands on, man, I would save every dollar and sneak off to Eagle Magic Store, which used to be down on Portland Avenue in Minneapolis. Oh, I don't know that one. Larry Kalo. He he since moved. Uh, he lost the lease on that space. But Eagle Magic is the oldest still operating magic shop in the country, the namesake, like the company. Mm-hmm. Now, it's moved locations mm-hmm. a number of times, but as far as all magic stores that are still you know, brick and mortar magic shops still operating. Eagle Magic is, I believe, the, the oldest. It's you pretty, give them the credit. Well, they have the cred. Yeah. Um, now it's out in Burnsville. Larry moved it out there. Weird Do you still strong. stop in? I have. Yeah. And he's got all the old counters behind. Like he's got fresh new counters in the sort of main shopping area. But if you if you ask him, you can go in the back and see all the old counters from the old shop. Ah, very cool. Yeah, yeah. It was really neat. Very. You cool. know what he did the last when I was out there last time. I lost that first magic kit I got when I was 10. Mm-hmm. It was called The 100 Greatest Magic Tricks of the 20th Century. Okay. And on the back of that box, there was a couple pictures and a short sort of bio describing the magic castle, 
which had opened in 1963 out in Hollywood, California. It's Holly- a mansion right. in the Hollywood Hills, mm-hmm. and every night there's magic shows. Uh, right now, Neil Patrick Harris is the is the reigning president of uh, the Academy of Magical Arts, which is housed at the Magic Castle. Sure. So I lost that kit. And I would search for it online, like the Magic Castle Magic Kit. I just couldn't, I couldn't quite, I, I never could find it. Yeah, yeah. You know, Amazon or anything. And then I'm back, Larry's showing me the back area of the new Eagle Magic store with the old counters. And I see a box, and I, it, it's like this crazy flashback in time. And it's one of the boxes from inside that kit. Oh, wow. And I'm like, can you get the rest of that? Yeah. And he's like, I think I can get my hands on that. And he hunted it down. And uh, and told me what it cost. Oh, and he shipped it to me. Wow. Oh man, it was just—it's the coolest. It was like a time a time capsule, opening that box. Yeah, and for sure. At those effects that, as a kid, that they were the fantasy. Those were the looking and playing with those props and learning those tricks was in my mind the fantasy of of a career of mystery. Do you remember the first magician that you saw, like a? What was your first experience? Do you remember? Seeing live magic, uh, one of the most profound experiences I had early on, I was 12 years old, and my mom, uh, my grandmother, took me to see Doug Henning. Do you remember Doug Henning? Oh, of course. Mustache. Mustache, long hair. Yeah. It's an illusion. He was, uh, you know, kind of David Copperfield's rival in the early 80s. They both had network specials on different networks, and he was doing the Orpheum in downtown Minneapolis. And uh, so it's true. You mentioned this in your act. So that's, I did tonight. That's legit. Yeah. I mentioned that because a bud, buddy of mine, Jerry Martin, was sitting out here who's a local juggler and variety artist. And so I knew he would uh, appreciate oh, that. Oh, cool. That day uh, when, we went, when I went to see Doug Henning, he's 12 years old. And uh, I mean, he's like, I need someone to help me on stage. <laughs> and my hand shot up. And I knew it was one of those feelings like I knew I was going to get picked. Yeah. And he, he picked me. Yeah. And I went up on stage and so precocious. I'm 12 years old. I have business cards printed. Okay. <laughs> Derek Hughes, magician. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And I go, I hand him one on stage. <laughs> the Orpheum <laughs> Theater. I'm a magician too. Doug Henning, heart full of love. I'm sure you are. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. It was great, man. It was great. And I just felt so touched and, and moved and... And also as a 12-year-old, to have that opportunity to go on that size of stage and look out and see what that feels like. Oh, for sure. Man, it was just, it was like, that cemented that shit. Yeah. That wow. For real. Do you remember um, Twin Cities, it's still around, Twin Cities Magic, is that the name? Twin Cities yeah, Magic Twin and Costume? Yeah, Twin Cities Magic and Costume. Yeah. That was, that was the place that I, uh, I never got anywhere, like, even where you were when you were 12, I never got really that far. You but were I, magic? But I did like magic. You know what my favorite one was that I, uh, that I did buy? My, my friend Bill. Zigzag cigarette. Nope. My friend Bill had the, um, oh, what was it called? The j- jewel stick. Hot rod. Hot rod. Classic, Fantastic. Right? right? And yes. he was really good at it. And, you know, and he would show me and I'd still be like, I... I he was really good at the hot rod. And there was even like a more advanced one, I think. There was like a beginner hot rod and there was like a fancier one. He had both. Like There's he a lot on. of uh, sort of gradations of that, uh, that method. Describe you know. that, what that trick is. It's, well, the, hot, the classic hot rod effect is you have a, a plastic stick yeah. about the size of a, a golf pencil, but square. And yep. embedded on 
both sides are six multicolored gems. Yep. And you show the gems on one side, you turn it over, and you show the gems on the other side. And your spectator, you ask them to, to select the color of a gem, and they select green. And you wave your hand over the stick, and all the gems turn green. Mm-hmm. And you turn it over, and you show that all the gems on the other side have turned green. And then uh, you change back just one half, leaving one half of uh, green and one half multicolored. multicolored and yeah. you can hand it out, and people can examine it. Yeah, and, and you flip it over, you're like, how the fuck? Yeah. Where's all the... And it's, it's so funny, because that was, you know, as a 10-year-old, that was one of my first tricks, too. Sure. Because it's, it's really great visual. Oh, yeah. If you've never seen it, it's a miracle. Yeah. And the premise is this is a this is a jeweler's demo stick. You know, like the, the idea is like you have these gems, and this is how a jeweler like when you go to a jeweler, you would you right, would choose right, right. what stone right. you'd like. Right. And you know, here you're ten years old. So I picked uh, in my travels <laughs> to Europe. <Yes. laughs> and I just figured this came in handy for magic. Yeah, not its main purpose. I, I love that. No, two of my favorites were. Uh, <clears throat> The uh, quarter that you could, uh, the folding quarter. Okay. That you could put inside like a bottle. Sure. Right? I don't know what you're talking about. It was a quarter. Don't describe it. I know exactly what you're talking about. Secrets. It was a, (laughs) that was the one that, uh, where I grew up in uh, in St. Paul, there was a Signal Hills shopping center in West St. Paul. Oh, yeah? And they had like a little. uh, Kiosk. Kiosk. Magic kiosk. Exactly. Here's a quarter. And then they go like that. And then all of a sudden the quarter would be inside a, you know. Back then, it was glass bottle of pop. Yeah, and I was blown away. Oh, it's like, a miracle! How? It is a what? miracle. Huh? What? Yeah. And then they put it back, back in the hand, show you the quarter, and it's totally solid quarter. That's right. Yeah. Well, and that's a great, you know, that's a what a great diabolical, perfect magic method, because we assume a quarter is something we have in our pocket yeah. at all times, and we just we know that that is a solid thing. Yeah. You've had a quarter in your hand a million times. Yeah. You never just tossed it in inside an object that's the smaller, that an opening that's smaller. Fold? What the fuck? And then my other one that I liked, imp bottles. What? Yeah. The, the, <laughs> the one that I can make it lay on its side? Yes. Will you try it? Yes. God love you. <laughs> try to make an entertaining routine out of that. <laughs> oh, yeah, I know. And when I was 10, I thought that was super... I, I will tell you, Derek, I freaking dazzled everyone on Christmas and like... 1986 with the imp bottles. I believe it. Yeah. I mean, it's a real puzzler. Yeah. You know, the, the, the whole trick to it. Yeah. I think something may have slid out of my hand and I probably got busted. And then everybody just went, oh, no. Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> you know, played along. I'm pretty sure that Well, it's happened. funny. You, you're kind of hitting on something that I've experienced as, as a professional uh, magician becoming an adult professional magician. When I was younger, I would perform uh, restaurant magic, you know, when I was like mm-hmm. 15, 16, 17, through my early 20s, like for a good, I think nine years on and off, I would do restaurant magic around the Twin Cities here at, I think I worked every single TGI Fridays at one time or another. Sure. And then I did the Loring Cafe for a couple years on weekends, yeah. which was a more high-end sort of experience. Um, but... As a young performer, tell me if this makes any sense. As a young entertainer, someone 15, 16, walking up to a table of adults and sharing my magic, which is surprising and sometimes creepy, but it's a, such a, it's a charming young person. Sure. Yeah. So it's like, oh, this is wonderful. You have so much potential and you're so wonderfully talented. Thank you for this joy. Now cut to 
I'm about, I'd say 30 pounds overweight. You know, when I'm hired to do walk around at an event now, I'm yeah. a grown up man. Yeah. Hi. <laughs> Let me show you my mysteries. If it's, if it's not good, yeah, then. No, even if it's good, like the magic is good, it's just I'm a grown up person. It's there's not the innocence that allows someone to be fooled in a joyous way. Okay, yeah. It's like, yeah, yeah. Why are you doing this? <laughs> I don't know if that makes any sense, but I've experienced it. I've definitely noticed a shift in close-up magic audiences acceptance of what I have to share at a gig. Hmm. Do you somewhere. think that has anything to do with like uh close-up magic on television what people see there? No, no. I I really do think it is it has to do with sort of like the joyous acceptance of youth. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> what was your favorite one when you were a kid? My favorite one, the one, the trick from that magic hit, the 100 greatest magic tricks of the 20th century, was uh, a trick called Penny to Dime. This, this was the one, this was the first trick that really captured my imagination. I was like, I think this is what I'm going to do. Yeah. It was an effect where you would have someone hold out their outstretched hand, Mm -hmm. palm up. You'd put a penny in the center of their hand, cover it with a simple matchbook, snap your fingers, lift the matchbook, and the penny was a dime. Yeah. And they could check out the matchbook. They could check out the dime. I mean, it was nothing nothing to discover. I think there was something unconscious in my kid brain that the money thing, like a penny to dime, the alchemy – Sure. The potential, like the fantasy of being able to just make money. Yeah. Absolutely. Was pretty big in my brain at that time. If you were, let's say you're pitching yourself to someone <clears throat> at some new club, has no idea who Derek Hughes is. Yeah. How do you describe what you do up on stage for an hour, hour and a half? I'd say it's a mashup of uh, high impact original magic routines and stand up comedy. And wouldn't you say that? That's kind of yep. Nutshells it. Yeah, like I, I do magic. So. I open with magic. I close with magic. But I weave in sort of sections of straight stand-up monologue that lead back into magic. Maybe you don't want to answer this, but could you <clears throat> could you fuck up a, a uh, some ma- magic up on stage here and cover it up? Oh, that happens. Where, that happens. where you know that it's screwed up that happens quite a bit. Does it really? Sure. And you just you know that. Boom, I, I got this and that and this way to cover it up and that way to cover yeah, it up. It's really smart to have some outs on hand. Yeah. It's brutal when it happens. But there's some, you know, not to expose too much. No, I don't, yeah, and I, that's when I. There are, certain, there are certain routines that are super impossible, but there's always a margin of error. So either you hit it mm-hmm. and it's a fucking miracle, or you just are standing with your dick in your hands. Yeah. And no magic is anywhere to be seen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's horrifying. I And I have actually, oh God, it's embarrassing, but I've been in, in circumstances where working out a new routine, I haven't fully devised an out. Okay? An example was, were you in the house when I did the thing I called the skeptic on stage? Yeah. And there's an envelope inside an envelope inside an envelope, and Mm -hmm. that final envelope is one playing card? Yep. Okay? Yep. This is a miracle. This is a very strong trick, and I've been working on it for uh, a handful of years. Early on, 
I was invited to uh, perform at something called Gathering for Gardener. It was a convention of magicians, puzzle guys, and mathematicians. It happens every two years in Atlanta. Martin Gardner was uh, a mathematician and magician who did all the recreational math puzzles for Scientific American for years and years. Wow. And it's just really interesting guy and really responsible for more people being into recreational math than anybody else, really. Like, uh, cool guy. Um, so I was invited as part of the magic element to perform yeah. in one of the evening magic shows. And there was a 12-year-old kid from... London, who's just super genius kid, he's running his own website that has his own algorithm, and he's you know, and he can talk in these terms, and he's just you know, he's got a British accent, yeah. So he's adorable. He already, yeah, he already yeah. sounds smart. So I call this kid on stage for my big finale. This is my big trick, and I this is early on, and I know for these guys, these brainiac puzzle math guys, this envelope and the envelope and the envelope thing is going to fry them. Yeah. Okay? And I just know it. Awesome. All I'm right. I'm already reveling. Here in, we go. In, yeah. Here we go. So the first part of the set goes really great. We're having fun. And I, I know I'm going to pick that kid mm-hmm. to do the envelope and the envelope and the envelope with the card thing. Right. So he comes up on stage, and we go through the whole process. Now, did you notice tonight I had the guy take the card out and put it in his pocket? Yeah. Well, early on, I didn't do that. I just okay. said, remember the card. Okay? Yeah. So we go through the whole crazy process where the cards are shuffled, cut. He selects. He can change his mind. He's narrowed it down to one. You know the card. You won't forget it. Fantastic. Name the card. This is my closer. Yeah. This kid names a card that it's not possible for him to name. Like, uh, he, it's not possible that he saw that card. Okay. I know this. Yeah. Because I am the magician. Right. And he's not fucking with me he just honestly has misremembered the card but now i've had him on stage for you know seven minutes and every word out of his mouth has been comedy gold because he talks like an adult but he's a kid right and i had no out i mean oh no Justin, i was dead oh no i just was like oh, no, no, no. and in the envelope is not the card you picked thank you good night uh, doesn't he have a great accent everybody oh, it was brutal oh no my buddy kept singing quietly in my ear the rest of the conference everybody blows their closer some <laughs> oh no he's a dick <laughs> one of the guys at the conference was a guy uh, his name's bill kalush he's david blaine's right hand man mm-hmm. um one of the producers on all his specials and this guy knows everything about magic he's just uh he runs something in new york called the conjuring arts research center and uh he has one of the most vast collections of ancient books on magic. I mean, he just, he knows a lot of shit. Yeah. And afterwards, I was, you know, he was in the audience. He hasn't seen me perform a bunch. It was so painful. Ugh. And uh, afterwards, he's like, yeah, you got to have them take the card. Or you got to have them show the card to someone else. You can't trust one person with that information. Yeah. And Otherwise, now I put you it in open yourself up to that moment of failure. Oh. Horrifying. I uh, I want to talk about the um, the show that you were on on VH1. Sure, because I did watch that. You watched Celebricadabra. How many episodes were there? There was uh, I want to say ten. Okay, I probably saw five. <laughs> yeah, kid was my celebrity on yes. Celebricadabra. I don't. His name is Chris. Chris Reed. Chris Reed. That's yeah. right. 
Very cool guy. Yeah. If people, Super chill. If people don't know who that is, just Google uh, House Party 2. House Party 1, House Kid Party 2. Clay. They were yeah. massively successful when they were young kids. It was a two-person hip-hop act. Yeah, a lot Kid. of dancing. A lot of dancing. Oh, a lot of dancing. Yeah. And Kid was kind of, he had light skin mm-hmm. and kind of buggy eyes. Yep. And he had this huge eraser high-top fade. Yep. And uh, we talked about that. He he remembers when he started growing it out, and it was a little short, but it was kind of flat on top, and it was just a few inches. And he started getting wrecked. Like people would point it out, and that was a, like all oh, that. This people are noticing this. Yeah, I'm going to keep this going. Yeah, and uh, it totally. I mean, it it was his <laughs> signature. Yeah, for a long time. And you had to teach you or your job. Not you had to, but your job on that TV show was yeah. to teach him magic tricks that's right it was like an elimination type dancing with the stars thing but uh teaming celebrities up with magicians yeah who would design magic for them you just did the quotation marks thing with your finger when you said celebrities well <laughs> come on look at the roster you I know i don't even remember I re- dude they didn't tell us who the celebrities were okay and we and they shot the sort of the magic castle was the hub of yeah. the show. Well, you've been talking about tonight. That's yeah. right. So we were in the Palace of Mystery, the main showroom at the castle, which they'd cleared all the seats out. That's where the judges were sitting and they had all the celebrities lined up and then we were on stage as the coaches behind the curtain and we were the celebrities going to meet us and we were going to meet the celebrities for the first time. Yeah. That curtain opens, Justin. <laughs> I didn't know who the fuck any of these people were. No. I was like, who are these quote celebrities, oh, man? Oh, no. Um, but turns out there was some great to see Tommy Howell. Oh yeah, see Thomas Hall. Yeah, Outsiders. Of yeah, you know um, Hal Sparks, who's headlined this club. Oh yeah, great stand up and a host on the Soup for a while. Yep, and a, yep, yep. A great a talking head on VH1 shows. Yeah, you know? I do remember. Okay, that's he's right. He's awesome. And that's that guy, right. I mean, talk about he's all into karate and and clean living, and the guy doesn't touch drugs or alcohol. And man, he got into it. Like he learned some serious stuff. Um, and then see Tommy Howell swooped in and took it from Kim. Uh, Kim was a pussycat doll, just gorgeous. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, super sweet girl. Um, How was it teaching Chris a celebrity? Was he was Chris was great in that. Was he eager? Chris wasn't eager. Chris was just trying to get his momentum going again in some direction. Yeah, and he hasn't been uh, dormant. You know, he wrote the theme song for Bill Maher's uh, Real Time. You know wow. that? Dum, 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 oh, dum, yeah. Dum, that's Crid, Kiss, uh, Chris Kid Reed uh, wrote that music. He's good friends with Bill. Um, Weird. That's he, random. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, uh, well, he was hosting a, some sort of con, uh, competition show in the last 10 years, wasn't he? Like, you know, he, I think he's open to taking any job. Yeah. And this thing came along, and he was like, sure, why not? But he wasn't, like, Hal Sparks was serious about this competition. Chris, Chris would like to go to Barney's and watch the game. Yeah. And maybe get together and work on some magic, you know, later that night or, you know. Like, he was very chill about it. And the advantage of having him is he was a real, I mean, song and dance. You said dance was the big thing with oh, yeah. Kid and Play. I, got, I had a song and dance man. I had a real showman. Yeah. So we could take the simplest effect and he could make it a big thing. So we made it through the first couple rounds. And, you know, we only got paid for as long as we stayed on the show. Oh, whoa. It wasn't a guarantee, you know. It's like uh, working on commission. The reason. The You've got to be a salesman. I did that show. For the magician's special, 
the 10th episode was uh, basically a magic special where all the coaches got to show your shit, got to do stuff with a professional camera crew, professionally edited, and then we got that tape. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And as a performer, as you know, I mean, talking to comics, tape is gold. Sure, that's it's good stuff. Grail. Yeah, you want that. So we shot live street magic out on the streets of uh, Vegas, actually, is where uh, my segment for the for the uh, magician special took place. And that was the main reason I, I said yes to the project. I was lucky I got Chris. I wasn't too concerned that we didn't. We, we only went like three weeks before he got voted off. Yeah. Because the judges were like, I kept designing these like kind of self-working effects that he could make big with his personality. And the judges were like, okay, great performance. You're moving on, but we need to see the skill level raised. And, you know, without like a passion to really rehearse it. I don't think people quite understand. I consulted for the Guthrie years ago on the cherry orchard and I had to teach one of the actors a couple of simple tricks. And it's amazing to me how people kind of can assume oh i get it if they if they if they know how it's done they think they got it yeah and they can do it yeah but the key to doing magic that is effective is rehearsing the shit out of it yeah i would imagine hours and hours of solitude and practice which i enjoy yeah to no end how's Uh, your wife like that well, she's usually sleeping or breastfeeding the baby. I mean, this this kid. You better get another baby. He's getting old. He's getting old. One's on the way. Oh, really? April. Oh, no kidding! We're Congrats! Due. Yeah. Hey, that's that's some fresh news right that's, there. Well, congrats! Very man. exciting. Yeah. Oh wow! Yeah. Holy shit! It was a surprise, but a, a pleasant one. Yeah. You know, I was under the impression that while breastfeeding, a woman wasn't able to get pregnant. <laughs> I was wrong. Yeah. <laughs> April. April. Holy crap. Yeah, good news. Yeah, that is good news. We figured, you know, we're, we're thinking two is a, is a great number. Yeah. And kind of into the idea of zero population growth. Do you know this, this idea? Sure. Like one for one. Replace. Yeah. Replace yourself. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And that's enough because, man, God knows there's plenty of us. Yeah. Well, um, you live in California. Where I assume you live in like a uh, closet somewhere. You know, we moved to a two-bedroom when we had Edward, and uh, it's not enough space. No. And this shit's expensive. Yeah. It's like two grand for this two-bedroom. I mean, oh my God. We talked to a broker, okay, about getting a place, found out what they would approve us for. But, uh, by the way, th- they said uh, over half a million is what they said they I could get approved for. And this was post-crisis. Mm-hmm. I'm a fucking magician. <laughs> <laughs> Who, what bank is saying, yeah, yeah, uh, 550000 I think, uh, yeah, I think we yeah. should uh, clear you up to that. Yeah. You Your mortgage bad. payment is uh, four grand. Oh, Go ahead. No problem. Yeah. Just re- ridiculous. And the agent that we were talking to showed us a handful of places, which, by the way, you know what a half a million dollars gets you in Southern California? Not too much, A huh? shack. Yeah. I mean, oh my God. When you moved from here, where did you go first? New York. Yeah. I meant, I went uh, to New York City for By like yourself? two years. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, roommates out there? No. I didn't, I didn't have roommates. I found a very small apartment in Greenwich Village, 8th Avenue and 12th Street. It was on Cobblestone, Justin. There was a stop sign on my corner in Manhattan. Sounds beautiful. It was amazing. Yeah. Seven feet by 11 feet square. 
Wow. Was the apartment. Three skylights. A lot of light. Yeah. I had to fold my futon up to get into the bathroom in the middle of the night. Nice. It was ridiculous. Nice. What's nuts about New York, too, is people would come over and literally be like, great place. (laughs) (laughs) What the fuck? Where'd you find this? Is there another one? Yeah. Thousand bucks. Thousand bucks a month. And, uh, And worth it. It was amazing. I loved living in New York. I, I have a f- my philosophy in New York was uh, you rent a bedroom and you live in the city. Oh yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah. So it's not. I'm not gonna have any dinner parties. No. One night we played a prank on some friends, and uh, I had like five buddies that were in the immediate vicinity, and three people were coming over, and we were all gonna go out. I was like, okay, come on over. I got you know some people are coming over, and, and then we all head out, you know. And one guy was hiding out on my fire escape. And these three people showed up to the apartment, and they came in. They'd never seen my apartment, so like they come in like, this is small. And we're already, three, four of us in the room are already like kind of filling the room. Yeah. And there's a knock on the door. Yeah. And, oh, yeah, come on in. Two more guys come in. There's another knock on the door. Another guy comes in. There's a knock on the window. A guy comes in from the fire escape. Like a clown car. Stupid. We totally, they were like, what's going on? That's ridiculous. Awesome. And then uh, living in New York was great. I had I developed a relationship with a commercial agent there who uh, they're great uh, and they have an office in L.A. as well. And when I moved to L.A., I hooked up with them. But uh, Sarah Jane, that agent, my mm-hmm. first agent here in Minneapolis, she started working with a manager, Nancy Kramer, who had discovered uh, an actor named Josh Hartnett and had oh. brought him out to L.A. Yeah. And Nancy said she dealt mostly with kids, but as an experiment, I was an older client and she would see what she could do and so i went from new york left sublet my apartment and moved to la and crashed on a friend's floor uh for a few months and did auditions and uh got a guest star on angel the vampire show oh spinoff from buffy yeah um, you were on that i played a burrower demon i was in the second episode of the entire series ever right after the pilot second episode Got to kick Angel's ass. Nice. Had a good fight scene. Yeah. Um, and so that was like, wow, okay, this is this is cool. And let go of the apartment in New York, moved to L.A. permanently. That's how that happened. And one of the first auditions after that permanent move was for uh, something called Grown Ups on the UPN. Paramount had their own network for a while. Sorry. Let me tell you, this show, the star of the show was Jaleel White. Uh, it was Urkel. Guess what? Boom. <laughs> Uh, he had this sitcom called Grown Ups, and it was his chance to break the stereotype of Urkel. Urkel, right. And it only ran for one year. And mid-season, they added a new workplace. And that uh, I was the boss at the new workplace. Yeah. I played this young computer, computer game savant. And Patrick Bristow, great uh, character actor, was on the first Ellen show for years and uh, – uh, he was added as sort of my stuffy, uh, ambiguously gay assistant. Sure, sure. And uh, I did a handful of episodes on that show as a series regular, which at the time I didn't realize how lucky and great that was to yeah. be added as a series regular on a running show. Yeah. I mean, I never did a pilot, but I did a number of series that went right to filming a handful of episodes. Yeah. And so I thought Hollywood was easy. It was like, oh, you just show up. So you just move here and then yeah. they give you a job? Yeah. Awesome. Perfect. Yeah. But that was pretty great. So that was why I moved, ended up moving to L.A. Yeah. 
how was Jaleel? Jaleel was hilarious because the show was not what he thought the show was going to be. It was a multi-camera sitcom. But when he was originally pitched it, it was pitched as a single camera uh, dramedy, like Ally McBeal type of thing. You know what I mean? So it was yeah. going to have more of a film quality and it wasn't going to have a live audience. And it was because he really was conscious about breaking that. He knew that America saw him as a multi-camera. Did I do that? Guy. Bam. Yeah. I want, a, I, want a, I want a legendary Nick Swartzen story. You and him. Because I know you've been on the road with him. And I know you guys are friends. You know, I, I missed out a little bit. I, uh, he, I, I have gone on the road with him on one of, uh, during one of his tours. And uh, he draws an amazing crowd. And he has an incredible fan base. Um, and, he, you know, he's a hero of mine in, in many ways. He was writing... Bucky Larson at the time that I was on the road with him and this guy he parties hard yeah and then when he's not when he's working he doesn't party I mean his he he divides that he knows when he needs to get shit done and he puts his nose to the grindstone and has a work discipline like nobody I know yeah and he always has yeah I mean it's just that he could be a great magician yeah because uh, <laughs> he knows how to to focus. Sure. So when we went on the road, I literally like detoxed for a couple of weeks before hitting the road with him. Because you know I knew like we're this is gonna be wild. Yeah, yeah. You know, and he's like, I'm going to bed. No, <laughs> I gotta write. I gotta write, and uh, which was kind of thankful. I could have really hurt myself. Um, he, uh, I'll tell you a story about one of Nick's first visits to L.A. He was doing Louis Anderson. Mm-hmm. Was doing a, sh- I think a Showtime comedy showcase show. Yeah, and he got Nick booked on the show to yeah. do a set. So Nick was flown out to L.A. I was out there at the same time doing a industrial video for a hospital. You know, just happened to be there, both working at the same time, and we shared a hotel. And uh, we, he wanted to go to the Improv, and he'd never been to the Improv. You know. And this is this is the club now where his there's a big poster of him right outside the showroom. Really? Before you go into the Melrose Improv, there's Nikki. Yeah. Right? But this was daytime. He'd never been there. And we walk in the front door and no one is there. There's a janitor cleaning up tables. Yeah. Setting up for the night. And Nick, hey, to the janitor, I'm a comic. Uh. <laughs> You know, like he just his balls out confidence and focus and direction and going right into the improv and just like his enthusiasm yeah. that he was in this spot and he just had to share with whoever was fucking and the, present. Yeah, and the janitor probably took his hand off the broom and like wiped some snot off his nose. Like, oh, yeah, he didn't good. stop sweeping. No, didn't even stop. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm sorry. Like, I don't understand English. Yeah. <laughs> so, welcome to no, LA. No sé. Yeah. <laughs> no sé. I don't know. What? Um, what's in the near future for you? Right now, a second baby. The future. It's very hard to prognosticate, but I think. Developing some sort of online content or an online venue for my voice in some way. And I don't know what that... What are you doing now? Well, What's your online voice now? Nothing? Nothing. Nothing. I mean, I got a website that has a link to some YouTube footage of me down at Hermosa Beach. Yeah. Which uh, I lucked out, got a great set, 
um, one of the headline comics was shooting a DVD with multi cameras. I was so like, you hey guys, in. can I? I was opening for him for yeah. two nights, you know, doing 12 minutes a night. I wore the same clothes and did different material each night. The crew said, uh, I was like, how much would it cost for you guys to shoot me? And they're like, bring us tape. Sweet. It was amazing. Yeah, sweet. So just awesome audience reactions. So that's real wonderful footage. And, you know, that's what's online. I'm nervous to post post stuff because then it's out there. You know what I mean? Like once you put something up, that's out there. It's up and people can access it and you know Isn't that a good thing? Not if it's not I don't know, I'm I'm such a maybe it's my experience in magic and like with a magic trick, you work that shit out before you show anyone. Mm-hmm. And I think there might be a different thing with uh, media nowadays where you like podcasts, like here we are mm-hmm. and we're this is gonna go out there and this will be available in into the future sure you know um so maybe maybe some courage and some fearlessness is required you know uh i feel i feel a lot of responsibility being a new father and uh, i don't quite know what that means yet (laughs) i didn't really have a good role model in that department okay but uh i'm figuring it out yeah yeah and uh i think i've been experimenting by helping others with their project and helping them sort of define a voice yeah and i think that's sort of on the radar for me we should i I know we're almost done here but i should we should talk this is really fun good thanks Justin. is it yeah we should talk about your history here i mean this is acme's podcast that's why i'm doing this it's to promote whoever's on stage here and this club which is fucking the best it's the best club so your history with acme well you remember your first time on stage here i'll tell you my history with acme goes pre-Acme, before this space was a comedy club called The Rib Tickler. Did you know this? No. Uh, I've heard that. but Did I, you know what The Rib Tickler was? I was never here. No. It was a comedy magic club. Was it really? That's right. So when I was 14, 15, 16 years old, every week there was a headline comic and a headline magician. And this was a venue where the the top acts touring we're coming in, so I begged my parents to sneak me into this room. No kidding. And I sat in the front row when Paul Kozak was, you know, uh, talking about how his parakeet on his shoulder only eats pot, and uh, <laughs> you know the bird would inevitably shit on him at some point during the show, and he would laugh it off, saying, "I'll smoke it later." <laughs> you know, nice. Um, it, you know, he called me out like, "How old are you?" Oh, Jesus, how the hell, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, so this place is iconic. Wow! In my my psyche, even the more than I would have imagined. Oh, but. big time! So this place became Acme. Yep. And uh, it was uh, Swartzen. I think it was his responsibility that I first did a set on this stage. The HBO Comedy Festival was scouting um, for comics uh, for their Aspen Comedy Festival, and uh, Nick called me up one morning. And he's like, hey, Acme's doing a contest for an HBO festival. You want to go down? So we got in the car and came down and signed up. And there was like a couple hundred contestants from from all over. Yeah. From Wisconsin, from, you know. And uh, we both were uh, selected as part of the 10 finalists for that night. And uh, Frank Caliando was on that same lineup. He came in from Milwaukee. Sure. Um, 
And from that night, Lisa Lean Gang was the scout for HBO at the time. She's since become a big comedy honcho over uh, at NBC and uh, responsible for just a lot of, you know, she was she was a big uh, supporter of Flight of the Concords. Oh, yeah. And getting them over and getting them, sure. you know. I just deals. talked to Arj a few weeks ago. <laughs> so good. Yeah. Uh, so we got in, we did... We did our sets during the day for nobody, for the judges. And then in the 10 finals, we got to perform for the audiences that night. Yeah. And I did, you know, 10 minutes of magic, stuff that I was doing at the restaurants. Yeah. I, I wasn't doing stand-up at the time at all. I was doing private parties, corporate events, and magic at the restaurants. And um, Nick won that night. And to, the, the prize was you can go to Zany's. And do the next tier of this competition to sure. get to Aspen, and uh, so Nick won. Awesome! He'd been doing stand up like six months, right? Um, his old Zima joke. Do you remember Zima? It's oh, ah. so funny. Um, so I get a call the next day from Lisa saying we can't pay your way, but we'd love to have you come to Zany's and showcase for the next level as well. Frank got that same call, so we all Nick and I drove out together to Chicago and did the did that level and Nick that's the year he went to Aspen like he won he was yeah. he was one of the guys um took me a couple more tries <laughs> well but so uh so that was my entree to the stage and uh and now you've been coming back to headline for many years you don't even get a real sense of what's funny in this room because the audience is so magically alive and ready for comedy. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's 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 a little guilty pleasure kind of playing in this room. It's like it's a little like shooting fish in a barrel just cuz it's just no room in the country is as present and as ready for what it is we do as as solo performers. I think that's it. Where do this people is awesome. Where do people find you online? Derekhughes.net. Derek, thank you. Thank you, Jeff. This has been awesome.